Amen. Well, good morning, Movement Church. You can go ahead and have a seat. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. My name's Abby Meyer, and I'm a worship resident here at Movement, and I'm so honored to be here with you, just to spend some time with you and to dig into the Word together today. So we're in this collection of talks called For Such a Time as This. And it's all about this woman in the Old Testament. Her name is Esther. And Esther's a Jewish woman, and she becomes the queen of Persia. Now, what we've seen in the past couple weeks is that Esther has this older cousin named Mordecai. And Mordecai does something to offend one of the king's officials named Haman. And Haman gets mad. And Haman decides it's not enough for him to have revenge just against Mordecai, but that he wants to have revenge against the entirety of the Jewish population. So Haman goes to the king. And Haman convinces the king to sign a law that says for one day, it's not only legal but encouraged for the people of Persia to kill the Jewish people that are living among them. And of course, when, when Mordecai and Esther hear about this, they're absolutely heartbroken and they decide to do something about it. So this is where we pick up in chapters 5 and 6. So Esther has just finished a three-day fast with the rest of the Jewish people. And she decides to approach the king. Now, when she goes to the king, um, he asks her, Esther, what do you want? Up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And and Esther says that she just wants to have dinner with the king and his official Haman. So they have dinner, and something really interesting happens with Haman on the way home. Let's take a look at Esther chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. That day, Haman left full of joy. Full of what? Joy and in good spirits. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage. With what? Rage toward Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself, and he went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over the other officials and the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she'd prepared. I invited again to join her tomorrow with the king. Still, none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. His wife Suresh and all his friends, how many of his friends? All his friends told him, have them build a gallows 75 feet tall. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows constructed. It's absolutely critical we learn to check our circles. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you've already met with us here and spoken to us here during worship. We just give this time completely to you. Let your words be said and not mine. Jesus, we thank you for the ability to gather together here this morning, and we we just give you all the glory this morning, and in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, check your circle. To the person on the other side and say, no, seriously, check it. (laughs) Has anybody here ever gotten really bad advice? I have. I have a couple times, but there's one time specifically that I want to share with you this morning, and it took place last February, so February of 2019. And I don't know how many of us remember or how many of us have have blocked this, this month from our memories, but we got a historic amount of snow. So usually we have seven inches in February in Eau Claire. February of 2019, we got 53 inches of snow. 
So my husband and I, we had just been married the previous June, so it was our first winter together, and what a winter to put a new marriage to the test, am I right? Um, but we actually, we lived in an apartment in downtown Eau Claire, and it was an apartment that had one of those alleyways, and you had to go through it in order to get to your parking spot. And for some reason, nobody plowed it. I don't know if it was like the city didn't have us on their list, or maybe if we were at the bottom of the list, and then by the time they made it to us, it, it snowed more and they had to go to the top. But our landlord didn't plow it either. So over the course of that February, those 53 inches stacked up and up and up. And needless to say, we spent probably 15 to 20 hours a week just digging our cars out and getting unstuck. And there's this one time in particular where I remember backing out of my parking spot and I got maybe five or 10 feet and I got stuck. And I tried to get out. I tried rocking the car, everything that I could think of to do, but it wasn't working. And so I, I looked for advice and I got this one piece of advice that I now realize probably wasn't the best piece of advice, but I was willing to try anything. And so this person told me that if I just melted the snow, if I just melted the snow, then there wouldn't be snow and I could drive away and it would be fine. And I thought, you know, that sounds like it might work. And so they proceeded to instruct me to get a bucket of warm water. And I don't know if you can see where this is going, but I took the bucket of warm water and I started pouring it around my tires. And for a moment, there was a glimmer of hope because it did start to melt. But then it mixed with the layers and layers of snow and formed this, this slushy, icy mixture. It was like someone took like a, like a slushy machine from a gas station and kind of just like dumped it around my car. And I got in and I pressed on the gas, hoping that this advice was correct and that I'd just finally be free, but my tires spun. And I ended up having to get towed. Now, thankfully, my neighbor did it and he did it for free. So for me, it was a pretty low-risk situation. But it's amazing the amount of stock that we put in the advice of the people closest to us, isn't it? It's crazy how much our circle around us has influence on us and how much we have influence on them. And in my situation, would I probably have to be towed anyways? I think so. I think that I was stuck good enough that it would have had to happen anyways, and honestly, the advice is pretty low risk. But what about the situations where there are high stakes? What about when your, your coworker comes to you and wants advice on their marriage? Or when a family member is asking questions or needs guidance on their relationship with God? What kind of influence are we giving out when it really counts? See, there's this quote that I want to share with you this morning, and it's by a man named Jim Rohn. He's a motivational speaker. Jim says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's your circle. Those five people. It's the person that you call up for advice. It's the person that you take to that new movie you want to see. When you open up Facebook Messenger on your phone, the first five or six people, that's your circle. And what this quote is telling us is that not only do we influence each other on, on what we do or where we go, but ultimately who we end up becoming. So it's important that we check our circles. You know, Jesus said that, that as Christians, we're to be the light and the salt of the world. And what that means is that we have influence, whether you know it or not, that you have influence on the people around you. And God is calling you to use it for his kingdom. We need to check our circles. So this morning, we're going to talk about three practical ways that you can do this. Three ways to check your circle. And the first one is to shift circle. Someone say, shift your circle. So shifting your circle is influencing others to live like Jesus. So we see that, that we have this influence and it can be used for good, 
or for bad. In the passage that we read earlier with Haman, his friends did not use their influence well. In fact, when Haman was complaining and having a bad day, they influenced him to to be full of anger and full of revenge. And so if we want to take a look at a good example of how to our circle, we should take a look at the relationship between Mordecai and Esther. So back in chapter 4, when Mordecai and Esther find out about the plot against the Jews, they react in two different ways. Esther is full of fear whereas Mordecai is full of hope. So Mordecai sends a messenger to Esther to tell her to go to the king to see if they can do something about this, and Esther responds with excuses because she's afraid of the risk. Mordecai doesn't stop there. He shifts his circle. Let's take a look at how he responds to her in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you're in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you've come to your royal position for some as this. See, Mordecai shifted his circle. When Esther looked at the world around her and the chaos that was happening, she was filled with fear and panic. But someone like Mordecai, someone who shifts their circle, helps us to move our eyes from the situation happening around us to God and what he wants to do through us. So my husband and I just got into plants. We have four plants. We went really quickly from zero to to four. And let me just tell you, we're just hoping that I can keep them alive because I have a really bad track record of of killing plants in my house, unfortunately. Um, But we got one that I especially like, and it's a little pepper tree. So it's about waist high, and it makes peppers that aren't decorative, like you can pick them and eat them. And so I love this plant. The Problem is my cats also love this plant. (laughs) And within maybe five or 10 minutes of bringing it into my home, my kitten had all harvested a couple of these peppers. So in order to protect the plant from the, the well-meaning uh, claws and teeth, we ended up moving it to the bedroom. But the problem is that there aren't as many windows in the bedroom, and the bedroom doesn't receive full sunlight. And so after a couple of days, what we realized is that those leaves began to wilt a little bit. So being the good plant mother that I am, and, and you know, I have this, this hope to prove myself that I can actually do this, I went on Amazon and I ordered one of those special grow lights. And I don't know how they harness the, the energy of the sun and put it in there, but it's pretty cool. It's supposed to help your plants grow. And I have a feeling that when we install it tomorrow, that, that those leaves will start to perk up a little bit. That the, the plant will get a little bit taller a little bit healthier, a little bit stronger, and maybe it'll bear fruit because the truth of the matter is that light is necessary fruit. And we could leave this plant in the corner, and we could leave it in the dark, and it would start to wither away a little bit, but we know that when we bring it into the light that it gets a little healthier. It gets a little, a little stronger because light is, is necessary for growth. And when Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about shifting our circles. He's talking about those times when there's a little bit of darkness, maybe a little bit of dimness happening in your circle around you, and God calls you to bring the light into that situation. You know, for you, that might look like getting together with some friends and they they start to talk about this other friend that you have and what she said or didn't say 
or, or did or didn't do, and all of a sudden it feels a little like gossip and you see a little bit of dimness. And maybe God is calling you to shift your circle in that way to, to bring that light into this situation. Maybe for you, shifting your circle means that you sit down with your significant other or your buddies and you say, hey, I know we like to party every Friday night. Super fun, it's great, but maybe this Friday we can sit down and have a meal together. Maybe we could go on a walk together. Because shifting your circle doesn't have to be this, this big life-changing action. It doesn't even have to be a deep emotional conversation. Shifting your circle is as simple as taking a little birthday candle and bringing it into a dark room. We need to shift our circles. So the second step in this whole process is to center your circle. Can someone say center your circle? So centering your circle is making Jesus the center of your own life. So when we take a look at, at Haman, we see that Jesus is not his center. God is not his center in this moment. So will you turn with me to chapter 5, verses 9 through 11 again? That day, Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself, and he went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman de described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over the other officials and the royal staff. So Haman has had a crazy day. Haman has had a roller coaster of a day because one moment he's full of joy and the next moment he's full of rage. And so what Haman does is he gathers his circle around him and he sits him down and he says, hey guys, listen to how great I am. Like, let's talk about how awesome my life is. And we see that Haman's circle was centered on, on his own feelings. That when something good happened, he was joyful. When something hard happened, he was full of rage. And his, his, his center of his circle was himself. Now, we can have a lot of different things at the center. And there's one thing that I put at the center a couple months ago that I want to share with you this morning. We have a picture here. This is my kitten. His name is Tofu. And he's wonderful. And I love him. Um, but when we got him a couple months ago, you know, he was kind of the, the center of my circle for a little while. You know, I'd walk up to someone and I'd be like, hey, how are you doing? Do you want to see a picture of my cat? You know, <laughs> Matt would come home, my husband Matt would come home, and instead of talking about how our days are going, we would just like exchange videos of the cats from the last time that we saw each other. And maybe it even impacted my decision making a little bit because people would call me up to make plans and I'd be sitting there and this cat's on my lap and it's purring and I'm like, I can't leave. I can't go anywhere. Are you crazy? <laughs> so this little guy was the center of my circle. And it seems silly, but there are a lot of different things that we can put at the center. And sometimes they are a little silly, and sometimes they're not. And the question is, what is at the center of your circle? You know, for you, it might be your finances. It might be being a good spouse or being a good parent. It might be your, your job. Or maybe like Haman, the center of your circle is your own emotions. Well, what do you make decisions out of? Where do you invest your time and your finances and your energy and your effort? These things all point to what the center of your circle is. And as we see, when we don't have our circle centered on Jesus, things get messy. Because Haman, he wasn't making very good decisions now, was he? 
man, Haman, when he was centered on his own rage and anger, he started making decisions based on revenge and his feelings rather than based on what God would call him to do. We need to center our circles in order to be the influence that God is calling us to be. And lastly, we have to serve our circles. Would someone say, serve your circle? So serving our circle means putting other people's needs before your own. So when we take a look at Haman and Mordecai, we can see quite a difference here. Mordecai was a man of service. Mordecai adopted Esther because she was orphaned, and he raised her as his own daughter. Mordecai even saved the the king's life one time. He reported an act of treason and ended up saving the king. And so Mordecai already lived a life of service. Haman, on the other hand, lived a life of honoring and exalting himself. So we see that Haman is, is up here that he has a great job, a lot of money, a lot of friends. His wife's name is Zeresh, and that's pretty cool. Like, he has everything that he wants, and he continues to, to exalt himself even higher. But then we have Mordecai. And when Mordecai finds out about the plot against the Jews, he actually seeks to humble himself. He sits at the gates in sackcloth, and he mourns and he fasts for the sake of the Jews. He, he humbles himself even further. And what we see is that there's this gap that happens. That there's this huge rift between where Haman is and where Mordecai is. And I think a lot of us want to live up here. That a lot of our decisions are based on the same thing that, that Haman was looking for. And we want to get more wealth. We want a better job. We want more friends. All these things. And we, we seek to lift ourselves higher. We seek to honor ourselves But kingdom culture does something that we don't see anywhere else. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28? Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Kingdom culture flips it. Suddenly, those who are are high, those who are first, become last, and those who are last become first. We see that in in the kingdom of God, that when you you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And when you humble humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And this actually comes to fruition in chapter 6. Because Haman goes to the king, and the king asks him, Haman, what should I do for the man that I want to honor? And Haman, thinking he's talking about Haman, you know, (laughs) Haman says, oh, put a crown on his head, put royal robes on him, put him on a horse, and lead him through the streets saying, this is what's done for the man that the king wants to honor. And the king looked at Haman and said, wow, great idea, thank you. Go and do all of that for Mordecai. We see that the the first become last and the last become first because we're not called to exalt ourselves. We're called to serve. So when I think of service, I think about our prayer team. Man, we know that our prayer team comes up here and they pray for us after service, but did you know that they do more serving than just that? That these people, when they get a request throughout the week, that they take time and pray over it? that they get here early in in the morning, every Sunday morning, to come and pray over these environments and pray over the very seat that you're sitting in. These people take time and energy and effort to saturate this place in prayer as an act service. 
We need to serve our circles. So how are you called to serve your circle today? For some of us, it might be buying the coffee of the person behind us at the Starbucks drive-thru. For some of us, it might be writing a note of encouragement to someone who's going through a hard time. For some of us, if you're a husband, maybe God's calling you to serve your wife by giving her a foot rub. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but however God's calling you to serve this morning, however he's, he's calling you and moving you to check your circle, this is a pivotal moment. Because you have influence. Whether you want it or not, you have it. You have the impact on those five people around you. And God is calling you to use that in a positive way. So let's go through these three steps one more time. And we're going to say these all together. Shift your circle, center your circle, and serve your circle. Man, we need to make sure that we are checking our circles. First, ask yourself, how am I influencing the people around me? How can I be a better influence towards Jesus on the people around me? Secondly, how is my life and my decisions centered on Jesus? And thirdly, who can I serve this week? Let's make sure that we are checking our circles. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are here with us, that you are speaking to us, that you have placed the people around us for a purpose, that we are near our coworkers and our family and our friends for a purpose, and that you're calling us to reach out to them and to minister to them in new ways. Lord, would you guide our actions and our words as we pursue you? We love you, and we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. In your precious and holy name, and all God's people said, amen.